Episode 27 of the American Craftsman Podcast. Yeah. We're over six months in now. I think this this marks six months. Unbelievable. Yeah. Time has flown. Absolutely flown. It, and it's almost like spring today. Yeah. Yeah, we got the window open. We uh we didn't eat outside today, but... We could have. Yeah. Yeah, we could have. It would have been a little chilly, but just in just short sleeves. But. Yeah. Hello to everybody out there on Clubhouse. We're live on Clubhouse as well. Something we've been doing for, uh, I think it's been a month now, which it, I yeah, I was find that hard to believe. Three weeks, I couldn't remember. I think this is the fourth, the fourth one because we did. Uh, was with John the first one? That was twenty four. I think 25, it was 24, 25, 26, 27. Yeah, it's the fourth fourth week. Holy cow! Yeah. So hi to everybody down there. We'll uh, we'll open up the room to discussion here uh, shortly. We still don't have a real concrete uh, format as to no. how we're doing this, but um, no, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> yeah. surprise. <laughs> so, uh, beer of the week this week we have some. Um, I'll put the glass out here so you guys can see. Uh, yeah, see us pour. If you don't know, we have uh, our own beer glasses now over on the website. Yep, GreenStreetJoinery.com. Uh, you can get your own American Craftsman podcast glass and drink along with us. I see Andy down there. He, Andy's probably at work, so he's not having a beer, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe later. Um, so we have some some leftover beer from last week with Tim. Yeah. Was that last week? Yeah. It was. <laughs> so uh, we're going to try two different beers today. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both from Jersey Girl Brewing, born and brewed in New Jersey, established 2014. They're up in uh, Hackettstown, so uh, about an hour north of us. This is Mo Pills, Pilsner. Yeah, that's a, I was going to guess that's a Pilsner. Yeah. A nod to our hometown of Mount Olive, Mo Pills is a golden, light-bodied, and slightly sweet lager that finishes with a spicy hop aroma and flavor. Enjoy fresh. Drink now. JerseyGirlBrewing.com. I, I like the artwork behind the logo there. Yeah. Little hop flowers, barley. Yeah. yeah. Almost a tattooish, you know, without the... Yeah, actually, I have uh, a big hop flower and some barley yeah. on my leg. Yeah. Got to get the... I'm going to get the sound pouring into the glass. <laughs> like a Duff beer commercial on yeah. The Simpsons. Duff man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's literally not making a sound. I'm going to tip that glass yeah. so you don't get all foam. There you go. Yeah, some sound. Oh, yeah. Nice and chilly. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, indeed. Here's to all you out there. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I think as it warms up outside, these get better and better. Yeah, like a Pilsner is always an overlooked style for me. Like, uh, you know, it gets a bad rap because most of these, like, uh, American macro right. kind of beers are, are based off of Pilsners. Um, but, yeah, this is good. We had the Grolsch. Mm-hmm. That was a good Pilsner. We won't talk too much about it, but it's... Uh it's like a good version of a, of a, just of a, a standard nice, beer. Yeah. 
That's so much crap. I got to find a spot to put my beer. <laughs> well, let's not waste any time. What do you got for uh, Tool of the Week this week? Ah, Tool of the Week. You know, it's not like we get new tools every week. Although yeah, Not every week. <laughs> and I don't know. The shot's pretty tight, but it, can you see the little stack of wood behind us? Yeah, there? yeah. So um, this week uh, we started cutting up and uh, milling some walnut for a job that's coming. Uh, it's going to start... Uh, you know, get into the fabrication stages in the next day or two. Mm-hmm. And the yellow pencil really uh, comes in handy. So today's tool uh, for the week is the humble yellow leaded pencil. And I also have the lumber crayon here. Yep. Um, this is uh, this is part of the Pika set that Rich sent us. And it, it came with all sorts of colored leads. And the yellow lead just stands out on the walnut. It really, really helps. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, you may be able to see some of the labeling here on the ends of the walnut. The walnut's not really in focus, but... Yeah, because what we do, how Jeff and I typically start a job is we have the drawings, and then we lay out all the boards across the table saws, and they're rough, so we're, we're kind of using an educated guess on what they're going to look like. Yeah. But we get their sizes... And I'll go through with the lumber crayon and and mark off and put a little designation on them. Usually we go through the alphabet A through Z. Um, Jeff's over at the chop saw, chopping them up, and with a yellow pencil, marking on the ends. So through each stage, we're transferring that that designation. So when it comes time to put these things together, we know where they go. I'm actually seeing two there that don't have a mark. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they probably on be. the other end. Yeah, yep. That's why. Those are the ones that got ripped. Yeah, yeah. So the mark will be on the other end of it. But uh, for anybody who hasn't tried different colored leads when you're marking out lumber, I would say, you know, give it a shot. It really makes life easier. You can't see a pencil mark on walnut to save your life. No, especially not on the end. Um, no. You could write real big on the face, but when it's rough yeah, sawn, that's yeah. not going to do you any good anyway. So that's it. It's the humble uh, pencil in yellow. Yeah. Today. Yeah, that yellow lead worked nice on the yeah on the ends there. And the peak is pretty good for writing on lumber because you know it's like a thick to a millimeter lead, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the crayon, which works good on the super rough stuff. Yeah, I uh, I'm not a fan of the Pika for like everyday use, but nah. with the yellow lead for this, like it worked really well. Yeah, so. yeah. I I'm gonna. I mean, it came with some pretty soft lead, and I've been using it, but uh, I've been you know rounding over the tip so quickly. I might try it with a little bit of a harder lead, mm-hmm. um, and because uh, it's got a handy sharpener in the point. But uh, here you go. Check, Check it, it out. out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I put a link down in the uh, description to, I guess, uh, the Pika yellow lead. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of guys out there. I know Matt's down there in Clubhouse. He's got a Pika. Whatever you're running as far as pencil, I'm sure you can find some yellow lead for it. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, like 0.9 millimeter white lead. Yeah. But it's extremely soft. So it's, uh, you know, it's not really good for this stage. It's good for more in the finished stage, Mm -hmm. which by that point, I'm not doing a lot of... um, marking anyway yeah. it's mostly you pretty much can set up with stop blocks and yeah. stuff um but the marking's critical for us i mean because there's <laughs> you know uh, yeah there's, there's hundred parts it's other two-thirds yeah, of it's two over tables. there 
So we got to keep track of them all. So they all go back to the right spot, you know, because yep. we're matching grain and color and all these other things. And um, so it's important. Matt's got his hand up. Let's uh, let's bring him up. Maybe he's got a comment about the uh, the pika and the yellow lead. Welcome. Hey guys. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, gi- giant pika fan here. Hey Rob. <laughs> so I know I know exactly what you're talking about because I actually got that kit almost the same time you guys did. I burned through that entire lead. That it came with, and I switched. <laughs> Listen, you you have in your possession the hard black lead. So go into that little, you know, that little black box that it came in, and that red labeled. Yeah, lead, yeah. It will be. It'll be so hard. You'll sharpen it, Rob. Yeah. On Monday, and you'll have a tip on Wednesday. And I, oh. I, I, I'm completely serious about that. You'll you'll really appreciate a lot more with that that lead switch. So yeah. And I uh, I personally rock out. That one and one of the pencils, and then I toss the uh, the red in the other one for uh, so when I'm taking my notes, it's not all just gray on the page. I can actually there you, go. you know, uh. cross something out or whatever, and circle. And it's, the two color system is is amazing. I can't can't advocate for it enough. All right, yeah, I didn't you even have think an advocate. Of the red. Yeah, <laughs> that Thank red you. could be good for uh, definitely like when we you know we write on clipboards and stuff. Um, yeah, so it'd be good to. Have things stand out, you know, very specific yeah. things. I I like the red when we work, we make edits on the drawings. Yeah, yeah, yep. Which inevitably happen. For sure. Yeah, oh. uh, it's just my two cents. I'm glad you guys are uh, enjoying the pencils because they are they are a treat. Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks for the. Uh, I uh, hit Matt up earlier. We uh, so we set up the shaper. We didn't set it up. We we went to use the shaper for the first time today yeah. just to try it out. Um, because we're we're getting ready to buy the tooling for the Dutch door that we're going to be building. Mm-hmm. Once this walnut job is done, um, we'll be jumping into that barn door. So we need to figure out uh, where we're going to get the cutters from. So we're yeah. between Freeborn and Royce, uh, still trying to to decide. We you know I've been talking directly with Royce about maybe trying to work out a uh, a little bit of a discount. You know, to yeah, try it out. It's an investment. To, yeah, to show. I mean, yeah, they, they were talking eighteen hundred dollars, <laughs> which is like <laughs> half the, the price of the shaper. Um, so yeah, we're still trying to decide. So we <laughs> we just uh, we put in a bit there today just to because we're like we're gonna spend eighteen hundred bucks. We haven't even tried this thing yeah, yet. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, Matt is our resident shaper uh, expert. Guru. So yeah, we we uh, and Craig's down there. Craig's our steam bending guru. Matt's our shaper guru. They are Yodas. Yeah, so I, uh, <laughs> I sent him a couple of videos, asked about, you know, uh, running the bit in reverse. So, I mean, for for a first go, I've never run a spindle shaper before. Um, I've run router tables and stuff, but, yeah. I mean, a nice cut. Beautiful, yeah. glassy, yeah. single pass, full half inch by, I mean, what would you say, inch and a half? Yeah, yeah, easy. So we used a panel raising bit because we, that's all we really have right now. We have yeah. a one shaker coping stick set, which is a three-quarter spindle, but we have uh, just this panel raising bit for the inch and a quarter spindle. Uh, worked out great. Yeah, it started up sounding like a jet plane. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't nervous until I turned the machine on. And then, and then it, <laughs> it's loud. 
I mean that it, that thing displaces a lot of air. Yeah, that's yeah. a six inch six inch <laughs> diameter by you know three quarter inch thick chunk of steel flying around. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to to using the shaper. Yeah, and hopefully getting a power feeder. You know, um, the gripe of the week. I'm not sure if I should be uh, talking about the gripe of the week. We should keep it under wraps and move on. Is to- it that over there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, probably in our best interest to not. <laughs> we do have a gripe. Yeah, we got a big gripe, but in the uh, interest of, uh, um, I don't know what we uh, call yeah, it. Just remaining civil. Yes, we we'll, will. We will. We will move on to and revisit maybe the uh, the ungripe of the week, which is this beautiful weather we're having today. Yeah. Um, you know it's hard to gripe every week. I saw a meme. It's like, uh, oh, what did it say? It was like, yeah, uh, seasonal depressive, uh, seasonal af- what's affective it? Yeah, disorder? Se- seasonal Sad. affective disorder is fake until it's like sixty degrees in March, and I feel like I popped a Molly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like, guaranteed, my wife's gonna be in the best mood today after work. Yeah. Oh boy, I feel alive. And- oh, Jack made it in. What's yeah. up, Jack? Jack Thornton. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> It's like 4.05 a.m. in Australia right now. Good morning, Jack. Jack's up to work out. Ah, good for him. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. That's awesome. Of course, somebody's calling me from Keyport. Yeah. God knows who it is. Yeah, so um, we're having like the second day in a row of like real spring-like weather, which is... yeah. It's nice. I mean, if you live in the Northeast, when you get a few early spring days... You can't beat it. Um, you, you just, you soak it in. Yeah, I went outside yesterday for lunch. Rob was actually, you were, he was getting his first uh, COVID vaccine That's shot. That's right. I'm, I'm one one shot in on the Pfizer and I'm, I'm feeling alive. Yeah, I'm, I'm due for my second two weeks from tomorrow. Um, but yeah, so I went outside and I, uh, I ate my lunch and I just sat there and got a little, uh, little sunlight on the eyelids, get some yeah. vitamin D. And uh, it was nice. Felt good. Yeah. So I definitely had more energy at the end of the day. This is going to come at a good time. The weather's going to break and um, we'll both be in it, you know, in another month now or so. We'll be able to open the gates up for all our guests to come back. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And hopefully we can do a little bit of a meetup. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, I mean, we've been talking about it for like a, a year now. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's probably chomping at the bit. Yeah. Getting together with, uh, you know. Um, everybody from the podcast and Instagram and now Clubhouse, you know, anybody that'd be close enough or willing to, you know, travel to. Yeah. We were talking about maybe uh, using somewhere around uh, Willie's location, weren't we? Was that close when we were talking to somebody from up north? Mm, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. But there was somebody that was maybe more centrally located to yeah. the northerners and the, uh, the southerners. But anyway, that's cool. Oh, man, that phone call I was getting was about my warranty that's going to expire. <laughs> Not your auto warranty. Oh, jeez. Might have to Don't stop worry. the podcast. They'll call back. I can talk to a live specialist now <laughs> or be placed on our do not call list. Yeah, yeah I've please. tried that. I've tried that. Yeah, that's just that's just a way to get you on the phone, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, got a decent amount of questions this week. We better, yeah. better get yeah. into them. Yeah. You want to take this first For one? Sure. Um, 
This is from Ira Jan. <laughs> Ira Jan. <laughs> I don't even remember what Ira Jan's real name is. Or is, is it? Is, is El that Rajan. It? Yeah. <laughs> but I destroyed his name so much that uh, <laughs> he's he's given in to Ira Jan. Uh, he's asking what app what app what adaptations? <laughs> man, it's only half a beer for woodworkers with disabilities. Have you encountered? So personally, I've not encountered any adaptations. Mm-hmm. I've seen. Amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, blind woodworkers, folks, you know, in chairs and things like that with limited mobility. Um, it, it's it's amazing what the human spirit and will can overcome. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all seen like the the uh videos of like a grifter with no arms playing guitar. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's insane. And yeah. playing well. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just with their feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I haven't either seen um, anything specific. Man, the spam is like, it just comes flowing in as soon as the podcast starts. Let me mute yeah. my computer. Um, yeah, I haven't seen anything in person. Uh, and Ira Jan was telling me, you know, like I have back problems. So mm-hmm. that, that's why he was curious. Um, yeah. Things like, you know, changing the work surface height. Right. Uh, if you're in a wheelchair, obviously you can't work at a bench that's 30, 33 inches tall. Right. Or you might need, you know, a different leg set up so you could roll up under it. Yeah. Similar to like the ADA stuff that we encounter when mm-hmm. we're doing bathrooms, especially. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy fixtures and stuff that people yeah. use. Um, what about that sauce uh, lock set? The, uh, the ultra latch, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we did that little thing with sauce and John Peters, and they sent us a couple of their ultra latch, which is a it's a really cool doorknob in that you can either push it or pull it, and it opens. Mm-hmm. So it's like a uh, it's almost like a Hearst style shifter is like the right. shape. Right, that's it's got what they, a nice big. Yeah, that's like know, what they designed it the after. Top. Um, so it's like super, super ADA compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody could open that door, even if you have no hand. You right, know you can I mean? bump it with a hip, yep. a knee. Um, and actually, now the weather's nice enough where you could probably put it on. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to get a deadbolt. That's it. Um, Here's so Tony from Oliver calling me. We so Ira, we haven't encountered anything woodworking wise but as far as uh like work services and things like that we've we've done a bunch of stuff in homes and especially in commercial Mm -hmm. applications where ada compliance it's sort of a bleed over yeah i've had to go in and alter things that other companies have built that weren't ada compliant Mm -hmm. and bring them into compliance yeah yeah i remember in the restaurant business in new york in the 80s um you know because frequently you put small restaurants and pubs in these spaces that didn't either have a restaurant in it beforehand, and then you had to bring all these little tiny bathrooms mm-hmm. up to code, which not it's not just the 36-inch doorway, but a wheelchair has to be able to spin around on the inside. Yeah, the heights of all the yeah, different yeah. things. Yeah, so um, that, that was a big deal mm-hmm. in, in the 80s as, as this boom was happening. And I think those laws were just going into effect too, and being, um, you know, sort of adhered to pretty strictly. 
Yeah, if you guys have anything um, specific, uh, maybe head over to the YouTube channel and leave a comment. Yeah, it might be like Braille uh, measuring devices. Oh, yeah, you know, I didn't even think of a, that. A ruler or, mm-hmm. a, I, I don't know, Braille tape. I haven't ever seen one, but um, that would be interesting. Yeah. I actually saw a thing, uh, like in Japan, uh, cans have Braille on the top so that blind people don't mistake like alcohol for oh. non-alcoholic. Yeah. Beverages. When I was an RA, I had, uh, in the summer session, I had uh, a blind student. And you always had to know if you had somebody on the floor because, you know, they'd have the fire drills and, you know, God forbid something happened, you got to go down and make sure that uh, everything was cool. And it was, (laughs) I mean, I was blown away all the time at how much this kid could accomplish. Yeah, uh, it makes you feel a little bit uh, humbled and uh, guilty for ever complaining. Yeah, yeah, because you know, yeah, we take it for granted. That's, that's right. For sure. All right, let's so let's move on. Let's go down south. Yeah, <laughs> Mississippi folk want nothing but cheap farmhouse furniture. How do I get away from it? That's from Luke Brown's Custom Craft on Instagram. <laughs> that's easy, Luke. Just move. Yeah. <laughs> We feel your pain, Luke, but, you know, in a sideways kind of way, because up here for the longest time, it was white painted shaker. It still is. Yeah. And before that, there was the distressed oak with that kind of white washy. Yeah, that's still plays. You know, people see these things on uh, Instagram and Pinterest or these home reno shows. And they they want it because it's easier than thinking outside the box. Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, this is the day and age of images and uh, keeping up with the Jones. Well, I mean, it's always been keeping up with the Joneses. But (laughs) now it's very easy to see an exact thing that you want to copy. So, yeah, that Saroost Oak and that and, you know, White Shaker with gray walls, that's headed your way, Luke. So just <laughs> that, that'll be the upscale look for the, yeah. that'll be, uh, you know, as the Mississippians move up away from the, that's what happens in the Northeast and in, you know, uh, the West coast, like things happen and then they spread, you know, as farmhouse furniture was declining here, it was getting popular yeah. in Mississippi. And as the shaker, white shaker and Saroost white Oak, becomes less popular it's going to move its way out from here and i don't know what is going to be the next thing here but yeah farmhouse chic so you know maybe it might be cool to start pushing the stuff that's you know kind of fading and losing steam here down there get ahead of the curve down there Mm -hmm. on uh on the saroost hook yeah the white painted shaker (laughs) yeah with the internet now i'm sure it's uh it's it's not as slow of a transition right, as it used right. to be. Because, um, I mean, I see that stuff everywhere now, I guess. But, yeah. but I mean, we run into the same problem, uh, just uh, people just want a different, different style. thing. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we just keep hammering away at what we think is good design yep. and what we think is quality and timeless and all these other things. Sometimes, you know, we, we have to make compromises and, um, you know, blend styles and things like that, which isn't, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. But just keep at it, you know, 
keep pushing in uh, the direction that you'd like to go, and eventually you'll get a few takers. Yeah, and I uh, when I was writing this up this morning, what I thought is, uh, you know, like leverage the internet and and uh, like I know guys like Wild Willie really started out selling on Etsy. So if mm-hmm. you can get some furniture up there, like stuff that you like to build, that's not farmhouse furniture. Um, you know, you might get some traction there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even include some some photos from the net uh, that are, you know, sort of uh, emblematic of what you want to build and say, mm-hmm. look, this, this stuff is really happening in these other areas. Yep. You know, I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods. So, but stick to your guns, man. What's next? All right. Parallelogram. How come I'm getting all the hard words? Parallelogram jointer versus traditional jointer and spiral head versus helical head. That's from Windswell Woodworks on Instagram. What do you think, Jeffrey? Well, I mean, the first one's easy. Yeah. Um, so the the ad- basically he's asking the advantages of yeah. or disadvantages. The advantage of a parallelogram joiner is it's much easier to adjust. Yeah. Um, excuse me. The old uh, dovetailed um, or wedge, I guess, joiners, they call them. You know, you have to shim them. Yeah. Um, which is not easy. You know, you're dealing with heavy cast iron parts that are, you know, made it together very precisely. Um, but those are bulletproof. Yeah. Set it and forget it. That's what we have. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm saying the traditional. Yeah. Um, parallelogram joiners, if it's a cheaper one, <laughs> may not be as reliable in the long term. Um, just because it's not as robust of a uh, as a, of a setup, it's easy to adjust, but it's not quite as solid. Uh, in terms of spiral versus helical, I don't have any experience with helical, just spiral, so I can't speak to the uh, advantages or disadvantages of that. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, what's the shelix? What is that? Is that some kind of? That's uh, a spiral. Yeah, uh, I I think that there. Anytime you're going to those that little four square cutter it's such an improvement from the straight knife that mm-hmm. i i don't think you can go wrong there yeah 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 I, I shouldn't say that all shelix are spiral i don't know they may make helical ours is a spiral mm-hmm. um so yeah i guess the difference is a, a helical it's one continuous line that goes all the mm-hmm. way around our spiral is uh on the I joiner think like i think it's like four four, five, four yeah. rows that you know, span uh, 45 degrees of the circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so they start at, at one point and they spiral around 45 degrees before another row starts. Um, yeah, if, if anybody out there knows, has experience with a with a helical and a spiral, I mean, I'd love yeah, to know. Yeah, I'm curious Yeah, if there's an advantage. I've, I've not even seen one up close, the helical. Yeah, I don't think so. I've seen, like, helical... Um, straight. I don't know how you would like those flush cutters. Uh, yeah, like they make like planar cutters mm-hmm. that are like that, where it's a a single edge, but it's helical. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, like for like a power planer, like the old yeah. Porter cable. Uh, well, what the hell is it called? If you uh, if you hang a lot of doors, you know what I'm talking about. It's a big long power planer with a fence on it mm. that you can put your bevels on doors. Um, and it has like a helical head on it. 
Anybody out there in the clubhouse have anything to say on this? I mean, that's a pretty big community. Somebody might know. Yeah. If you do, raise your hand. We'll move on to the next question. All right. Uh, this one comes in from YouTube. Hal Den on YouTube. Uh, what's something that you usually run out of when you need it the most in the shop? I mean, glue, sanding discs, etc. Also, has a tool ever died on you when you needed it most? <laughs> well, um, we're usually pretty well stocked up in all of the accessories like screws, glue, sandpaper. We, uh, I can't remember running out of anything like that, but no. we were just, uh, we needed, I needed to make 15 cuts to resaw some oak and uh, I used to have a whole series of bandsaw blades hanging up and I neglected to uh, look to see if I had extra blades for resawing mm -hmm. and uh, about three quarters of the way through the very first cut the blade snapped yep and uh, I went on Amazon actually because um, you know, we needed something quick. There's nowhere local that we can get a bandsaw blade. No. And we got screwed on the delivery. So we kind of were... Yeah, we were uh, down about almost four days. Four days, yeah. yeah. One thing I do remember is when... Uh, so we have the, the saw stop right here next to me, and then caddy corner to that is the, the unisaw. We used to have that unisaw where this is and a five-horsepower unisaw there with the dado, yeah. dado blade on it. Well, oh, that's right. That's I was right. in the middle of making, I forget, was it the, um, was it the, the cherry kitchen? barn door? I don't know. I was running, yeah, it was a bar, it was one of the barn doors. Yeah. I'm running dados in uh, barn door parts and the phase converter. Right. That started to die. It would, it would shut the saw off. I'd have to wait like a minute and then I could get it back running and then it would shut off again. That had a three-phase motor on it, and we had right. like a one of those, not like one of those really big phase converters, but one of the small little boxes. Yeah. Yeah, not like a, a big rotary phase converter. I don't know yeah. what they call those. I don't know either. Came with the saw. Mm -hmm. We bought it used. Um, yeah, I remember that. That thing, that was down for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, and then we, we, we bought, bought the saw, saw stuff. Yeah. So it uh, seems our... Our cutting devices have been, uh, yeah, no comment. Letting us down. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Do we, we talk about that on the Patreon? <laughs> I think so. We, we we got a lot of venting to yeah, do. <laughs> we got secrets to spill on over on Patreon. Uh, here's one from Chris. What do you look for when picking out lumber? Tight grain or anything like that? That's uh, C Dubrisky on Instagram. That's a good question. Um, well, when we get the lumber in, we order FAS, and if it's walnut, we have to order black walnut because um, I don't know when this began, but uh, walnut's got its own separate little uh, grading categories. Yeah. So you have to really get black walnut, which has a, a premium price attached to it. Yeah, that's just the name that O'Shea is using. Right, right. I don't think it has a, it's technically... Different. It's all, yeah, it's all, black walnut is just what our supplier calls their extra premium right. walnut. To get walnut that looks like walnut instead of... Yeah. <laughs> instead of like butternut. <laughs> yeah. So 
So we order the highest grade that they have, mm -hmm. and it comes in rough. We bring it in, and as we were speaking of at the top of the podcast, we go through the, the rough lumber, and we kind of have an idea what it's going to look like even while it's rough. Yeah. So we have to use the size, and we look for defects like knots, and we chalk it out, so to speak. Um, and if it's something that we're going to be doing uh, where lots of parts are going to be next to each other and we want them to mate up, well, we that's where the, the labeling comes in. You yep. know, we'll try and get those out of the same boards or, or fold back. Well, there's all kinds of ways to match within mm -hmm. a board. Um, you, you have something to add there? Um, yeah, like like you said, like we're not necessarily going and picking out lumber like from a lumber yard. We're just getting it delivered. But when we're selecting lumber for parts, when we're um, parting it out, whatever yeah. you would say, when we're, yeah. when we're when we're when we're selecting what boards are going to become what parts. Um, you know, we're looking for certain things for door parts. We're looking for straight grain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it's something that has a curve in it, you want uh, some grain that has some curve in it so right. that it's it's following the shapes that you're putting into it. Right. Um, door panels, you know, that's a chance to use some more of the distinctive right. pieces. Yeah, you're not going to take a board that, you know, you can tell when a board has some curl in it. You're not going to take a curly board and cut it into door parts. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, because you're going to be interrupting all this green. Yeah, all that figure runs off the the outer edges of it. It doesn't really look that good. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that's what we look for. Very part-specific uh, grain selection. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question because I think it's, oftentimes overlooked when you're starting out like yeah. that's something you, you come to recognize as you as you've made a few pieces and you say oh you know wouldn't this look better if you know the grain was running in the direction of the part and yeah for example like we have the uh that cherry piece is still here um luke is working on <laughs> the taking up residence yeah he's working on the hinges <laughs> for us um it has these gothic arched panels and um we tried to get cathedral in the center of those panels right. so that it followed the gothic arch of the of the panels. So. Right. So you might want to trim off both edges of a board, maybe a little bit more off one side than the other, mm -hmm. so that you know the the wood's natural design is is where you want it. Yep. Yeah. Good question. C. Debrisky on Instagram. Oh, this is Andy's question. Andy's there listening <laughs> live. Andy C. Andy C. Makes on Instagram. Uh, is this going to be juicy? No, no, oh, no. Okay. Because I see a co-worker. I didn't know if this had <laughs> in. All right. Your secretary. <laughs> a co-worker and I were having a debate about wearing gloves when operating machines. The argument's about the fear of the gloves sucking your digits into the machine. That sounds grisly. I get that point, and I'm not sure if the saw stop works if you have gloves on. I don't want to find out. I like wearing those tighter neoprene gloves because I find pushing or gripping the materials better. What do you think? Uh, Jeff, you're a glove wearer. Yeah, I like to wear those same sort of uh, gloves, like a knit glove with a, with a mm -hmm. uh, neoprene or nitrile, whatever, palm. Right. Um, I stopped wearing them on the joiner because I feel like the, that's probably the highest risk operation for wearing a glove. Um, a table saw, I don't think there's any risk. Things don't really get sucked into table saws. Um, if you've ever seen Matthias Wandel on YouTube, like he tried to 
he rigged up a thing trying to get a shirt sleeve to get sucked into the saw, and he, he couldn't mm-hmm. do it. Um, not saying that that proves it's not possible, but I, I had my doubts about the table saw. Um, the like the planer and the band saw pretty low risk. If you yeah. if you stick your hand into the planer, you're screwed no matter what. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the glove you is to put your hand way into the planer. Yeah, the, the glove <laughs> you is have other problems worries. if you're doing that. <laughs> yeah, um, and the band saw no no risk with the glove. Um, I will will say with the saw stop, some gloves do like if on the saw stop if you touch the blade, there's a status light down here. If you're watching, you can see where yeah. I'm pointing. Uh, you can see a green light. Let me move this mic a little bit. You can see the green light. Now watch when I touch the blade. There's a red light blinking. That that says that it's detected a uh, a completed circuit, um, or something to that effect. It's detecting a uh, a conductive substance touching the blade. So if you were wearing gloves. I, what I meant to say, some gloves, if you touch it, it'll go off. But, like, we tried it with the rubber gloves the other mm-hmm. day, and it didn't. Um, but the thing is, so you're wearing rubber gloves, and you uh, put your hand into the blade. It's going to cut through the glove, and the second it touches your skin, yeah, it's going to go off. It's the same exact protection. Right. Um, it, it just detects a conductive surface. So when it goes through whatever that non-conductive surface is, mm-hmm. it's going to then, yeah. as soon as it touches your skin, realize It'll that it, and the brake yeah. is going to you know, engage. Yeah. So there's no additional risk. Um, if you feel safer because of your grip, I would say that's, that's the route to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like wearing gloves. I, I feel like I get better grip and... Yeah. Um, you know, it just saves you from those little dings and dents and splinters. And <laughs> if, you, if you see my hands, you'll know I'm a non-glove wearer. Yeah, Rob spends a lot of tweezer time. <laughs> then band-aids. <laughs> There's always blood around the shop. Yeah, I smashed my elbow on a corner of a walnut board yesterday morning. <laughs> it's those little, those little cuts that are all over. You know what I've taken to, and I might uh, bring it out as tool of the week one, one day is my little liquid bandage. Oh yeah, <laughs> the brain. No. <laughs> oh, ja- uh, Jack's not in here anymore. This oh, is his yeah, question. Go back to sleep. He probably yeah. We were boring him to death. He went back to sleep. Oh, do you guys have a vacuum press? Jack wants to know. <laughs> we do not. I would. Uh, I would love to have one, yeah. but um, we haven't. Haven't had a commission yet that really called for it. So uh, until that day comes. That's typically how we operate on on big things that, uh, you know, maybe won't get used every day. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Dutch door, for example, you know, we sell like a $7,500 door and then we buy a $4,000 shaper and a a $2,000 worth of tooling. (laughs) And a $1,000 worth of oak. (laughs) That's why your son's going to have to forge a path for himself. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> we're not saving anything for poor Hunter. No, sorry, Not bud. yet. Not yet. <laughs> but we're working on it. <laughs> it's a good one for Matt. He's right. uh, out in, uh, in England. Matt says, uh, how far from home do you guys generally work? My furthest so far has been a 700-mile round trip to fit a set of wardrobes we made for a local client with a holiday apartment in St. Ives in the UK. Set off at 4 a.m. and got home around 11 p.m. 
I try to stay within an hour's travel if it's more than a day of fitting. But Facebook and Instagram are bringing in inquiries from much further afield. Matt Richardson, Architectural Woodwork on Instagram. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, we'll go as far as anybody's willing to, you know, pay us, I'll say. It, yeah. it sounds a little bit crude to put it that way. But typically for us, because we want to be paid for our time, it's going to price us out of the job. Because yeah. um, if, if somebody wants us to uh, spend two days traveling, we're going to have to put that into the job. And then we're going to have to sleep somewhere et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's going to add a burden of cost that a local guy's just not going to have. Yeah. Like we, uh, we bid those doors up in Nantucket mm-hmm. and it was like the doors were like 10 K and the install was like 4,000 because right. we have to take, we got to drive eight hours and then get on a ferry and then do the install. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's going to take, so that's a whole day. It's just getting there. Then we have to do the install. Well, then it's too late to go home. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to. We're too old for that. I'm going to pull an all-nighter for you for free? No. Okay, we're going to stay over, and then we got to drive home the next yeah. day. So it's three days plus, yeah. you know, travel expenses, gas, all that stuff. Um, I'd say most of our work is within a half hour of here. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, the you know, then we go maybe an hour and a half. But, right. yeah, like you said, we'll go as far as. As you want, you want us to come to California, then we'll come. But we've wor- I've worked in Princeton and in Jersey City and Hoboken, and those um, Princeton's a little bit closer um, time wise. But yeah. to get up into Hoboken and Jersey City, you're talking about a, an hour and a half drive, and then there's the difficulty in parking. There's no place to park yeah. trucks and things like that. So it's a huge, huge um, liability. Like the the jobs I I did up in those areas, you'll you'll have to schedule when you can get into the loading dock, uh, schedule elevator time. Mm-hmm. Then you unload your truck. Then there's no place to put your truck. You got to go find a place. And a lot of the lots won't take a big truck. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a big headache. Yeah. I mean, that's we, why, you know, when Tim was here last week and he was talking about the first time he worked in Brooklyn and the builder came to him and said, yeah, you know, I got this thing for you in Brooklyn. And he's like, no, I'm not yeah, going. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's just a big headache. Right. So I'd like to pull up to the house, pull into the driveway and then walk in the door. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, as you see, we don't, we're not looking to get rich. So, <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice, but not going to happen. <laughs> but but we, we put a few things ahead of that. Yeah. So, like, you know, we want to start at a reasonable time. We don't want to disrupt our lives in a crazy way just for no. a job. Yeah, I mean, every now and then is fine as long as, as yeah. it's being worked into the job. Yes. Um, you know, I'm certainly not going to leave the shop at 5 a.m. and only start paying myself at 8. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't work that way. We can't afford to do that because we no. could take a job where we'll get paid, right? For, you know, for all our time. That's that's really the the bottom line. If if we had no work at all and somebody offered us this job, we would do it. We'd do it, yeah. but it doesn't make any sense to to give somebody a discount for us to travel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of guys out there working, uh, you know, eighty hour weeks. We know one of them. Uh, <laughs> 
And it's not helping everyone else because no. you're still basing it on a week, but you're working 80 hours, so everybody else's prices yeah, get Yeah, your personal off. life suffers, your relationship suffers. Yeah, everything. yeah. I mean, 40 hours is, is plenty. Yeah. So that's it. That's a, another interesting topic of discussion. I mean, you know, how, how people schedule their, their jobs and their lives and, and where they find that balance. Yeah. All right, you want to move on to a Jerry? Yeah, how you doing on the beer? You want to try the yeah, next one? Yeah, yeah, let's uh, start pouring that second start beer out. Uh, Jerry's question, I'll grab it. Jerry's one of our patrons. Uh, thank you, Jerry. He's GA Woodshop on Instagram. When you rough cut the stock before milling, how much extra are you adding to account for snipe? Well, Jerry, we don't really, we try not to um, produce snipe. Uh, and... Part of that is getting the machines tuned up, and and we can. <laughs> it's it's amazing how uh, you'll hear about it, Jerry. You will hear about it. Topical these questions can be. <laughs> so we're really looking. Uh, like if I'm marking out the lumber, and there's a 27 and a half inch part, uh, I'm gonna at most uh, give Jeff a 30 inch cut. So really not much at all. You know, I'm 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 marking the lumber where I feel like we're going to miss knots and any kind of defect and I, I'm I'm picking out where I want the grain to you know begin and end. So I'm I'm really figuring on not a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me it depends. Uh it depends on on what the size of the board is and what the size of the parts are. That's another thing, yeah. If there's going to be six inches of waste right. and it's two parts, I'm going to add three inches to both yeah. of those parts. Um, and it also depends on, like, what the part is going to be. If it's going to be a countertop, I'm going to be more inclined to leave some extra for snipe because... Um, you know, you don't want to have snipe running across this whole thing, and it's just oh, going to yeah. get sanded. Like, if it's a door, it's not a big deal because the door is going to get assembled and then sanded. Like, the whole thing is going to get sanded. Yeah. The the uh, the joints are going to get sanded flush if they're not perfect, which they never are. Um, so, yeah, it, it depends a lot on the size of the board and the part. That's, that's true. That's a critical thing. Like, I'll usually come in about two inches off the end if, if the end looks perfect quote-unquote perfect like mm -hmm. with no checks and then i'll start measuring and walking out and if there's like you say six inches left well then you can kind of stretch everything out a little bit yep. yeah i think i'm a little more generous than you are <laughs> um and you know no fault of <laughs> here we go in the uh the next yeah we got a jersey girl, jersey girl sun-kissed citra india pale ale Smells nice. Uh, what's our next question here? It's from another patron, Miles. Miles Thompson out in Australia as well with uh, with Jack. I'm not sure, not sure what uh, area Miles is in. I think I think Jack's near Perth. I don't know if they're close to one another, but Perth, the furthest city away from uh, us. Yeah. Um, I struggle a bit with proportions for furniture. I have some books that I use for reference that help a lot. But do you like a more calculated approach like the golden ratio or is it by eye if it looks right? Sorry. Or is or is by eye if it looks right good enough? Any tips? From Miles, eat drink wine guy on Instagram. That's a that's a good question. Um the golden ratio is a really a 
almost a fail safe and it doesn't have to be exact mm. but it's a it's a great place to start yeah a great that's that's always my first place to start and after uh all these years you kind of know like oh 49 all right let's bring this in 26 mm-hmm. and see what um and if it looks right it is right yep and the greeks proved that with the Parthenon, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? If it looks straight, it is straight. Um, experience is a great guide. Um, and that's what, you know, the golden ratio is some uh, weird element in nature. Yeah. But it's also what's been used time and time again for hundreds and hundreds of years. It just looks right. And maybe part of that is because it's been used so often and we're used to it, but yeah. I think it appears so much in nature and in the human body, like yep. Vitruvian man proves that out as mm-hmm. well. The uh, Da Vinci's Vitruvian man, you know, the guy in the circle yep. in the human face, uh, the Nautilus. It's, it's just something that it, it it's harmonious. Those yeah. proportions have balance and harmony. Yeah. There's something sort of mystical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Rob is certainly, um, you know, more uh, experienced in design than me. But one that's book good. I read, yeah, it's nice <laughs> and cold. Uh, one book I read that was good, uh, a good reference for proportion was By Hound and Eye. You may have heard of By Hand and Eye, which is a really famous book. By Hound and Eye is sort of like a comic strip take on it. Mm. Um, and they talk about the different types of proportion and, and layout. Uh, I forget the names, like where you have like a like a one three one mm. and the different, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The different... Ratios? Yeah, like different ratios of design of, uh, you know, and there's different names for the different, you know, different uh, ratios. Yeah, and you can use it in the inverse if you wanted something to stand out for yeah. a specific reason. Um, so I would say uh, practice. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you use, Miles, for your design work. If it's like when I started for years and years, I worked purely with pencil on a drafting board. Mm-hmm. But if you have... Um, the ability to, you know, start working with something like Fusion 360, a free version of SketchUp, any of those things will help you see in, in you know, like real life what you're designing. And it'll 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 happen quickly, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's all trial and error mm-hmm. if you uh if you're just getting started. Like just draw something and you know, to digest it for a little bit, take a look at it and then Make a tweak. Does it look better? Does it look worse? And then, you know, you'll get a feel for a uh, an uncalculated feel for these proportions. Right. Like it doesn't. Right. We're not, we don't even have to talk about measuring anything. Just draw it. Right. And then if it looks good, you can go back and find out what those ratios are. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, um, what I was going to say, I completely flew out of my head. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> I have no idea what I was going to say. Let me see that can. I want to look at it. But like, there there have been times where, 
like in a, a, a large kitchen where there are like, let's say, two walls of cabinets that join in a corner as the as the width of the doors themselves changes, whether they diminish or expand, I will uh, adjust the size of the styles ever so slightly. And that's what I was going to say, that sometimes uh, a small dimension, like a quarter of an inch, can make a huge difference. Yeah. Like, let's say you're, you're going with three and a half inch styles, but as you get towards this corner cupboard where the door might only be, let's say, 13 and a half inches or something. If you bring those styles down to three and a quarter, um, it helps the panel appear bigger yep. and you don't notice it. And it just, it looks right. It looks better. Yeah, it looks squashed otherwise. Right, right. Because the proportion of the width of the cabinet to the style is mm -hmm. also, a, a, that's, you know, something to consider. Right. Like so you don't make a, a cabinet that's 48 inches wide with one door. <laughs> it looks silly. As much as you may have a designer or a cabinet maker present you with a drawing with this or or a 70-inch tall door. It'll with, be cheaper that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess maybe some people think it looks okay, but Yeah. We got this. We got two doors. They're 60 inches by 14 inches. And we've we've yeah, we've been presented these uh drawings from people like <laughs> designers not just people these yeah. are people with the uh, you know credentials after their name supposed credentials <laughs> so practice miles and you know what study the experts you know that yeah. we didn't invent any of this stuff we read books and you know we learned from the masters who came before us mm -hmm. and that's that's what you do you know uh, you're going to, you know, learn less from Instagram and Pinterest and more from checking out a few books out of the library yep. on what the masters did because they, they stood on the shoulders of the people before them too. Yeah. Yeah. And if you draw something, uh, shoot it over an email. You got yeah, my email. Yeah. That'd be cool. We'll take a look. Got one from, uh, <laughs> here comes another question <laughs> from Luke. He's uh, Cal Builds on Instagram. He's up in Brooklyn, and he's on Clubhouse as well. Yeah. Not, uh, not on right now, but uh, he said, tell me about the bandsaw setup. What's the deal with the blue extrusion? So that's he's referencing a, uh, a story we put up. A story we put up um, Rob was resawing some white oak. Yeah, that, that blue extrusion is what we use to resaw. Um, it, what it is, it's like it's a curved surface. And that's what I use as the guide. I, I set the thickness to the, you know, the middle of the bandsaw blade to the high point in the curve of that piece and then push it through by hand, mm -hmm. you know, carefully guiding it. It's not because there's so much drift in a bandsaw. Yeah. Um, we don't have anything set up where it's like totally perfect for resawing with a like a wide blade where we set the fence we got this tall fence yeah it's like a steering wheel for a for a bandsaw that isn't set up to like cut veneer right right um you know yeah like a lot of guys that make shop veneers they have that big tall eight mm -hmm. inch or ten inch fence right um which you better have that thing set up otherwise it's gonna drift all over the place yeah um this lets you steer a little bit it's a pivot right. point it, that's exactly it. it's a pivot point and it takes a little bit of skill um which isn't you know 
a lot. It's I would say you just have to have the time behind the wheel on that thing because it's like driving, it's like driving a trailer. It's like right. driving a trailer. <laughs> yeah. A little overcorrection and you're in trouble. Yeah, like what you do now is going to happen in 10 seconds. <laughs> right. So I picked that thing up for 20 bucks uh, a long time ago. It's blue, so you know it's from Rockler. <laughs> so is, Rockler sells that as like a resawing thing? Yes, okay. yes. And I put it on that block of wood so that it fits on my fence. Yep. I don't know how they figured you'd use it. And it works great, you yep. know, because it's it's super fast and it, it doesn't tie up the saw for any other, you know, exclusive use. Yep. I have been seeing uh, sawblades.com, which somebody was telling me, I forget who it was, somebody in Clubhouse, that they just got a uh, nice carbide blade from them and it was good. They sell a, like a bearing uh they call what do they call it? like a bandsaw rebuild kit, all mm -hmm. made in the USA, mm. and uh, it's supposed to make it cut real nice. Yeah, the, I mean those guide bearings make a big difference. Yeah, um, yeah. Setting up a bandsaw is an art, and if you don't like, we do, we don't do a lot of resawing. When we do resawing, we do a lot of it, but we don't yeah. do we don't always do it um, because most typically the doors are small enough where they don't need to be book matched, mm -hmm. um, at least as of late. But uh, we had to do all that resawing for that. Uh, the for the mats. yeah, these steam bent uh, chase lounges. But yeah, Mag Switch also makes a similar thing that has bearings. I like the look of that. Plus, it's taller. Yep. Um, the thing that you know, like the way we have it set up, it really we should have like a tall featherboard. But I just have a. A featherboard at the bottom that holds the base down, and then I just use my hand and mm -hmm. eye to keep the top straight. And it's, you know, it's passable. I could get away with, you know, a sixteenth of an inch extra to to plane off, but yeah. I'm not making veneers on that. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, with a little time, you know, it could be. Yeah, yeah, could be set up. But so that's the low down on the blue extrusion. It's yeah. our resaw setup. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, this is Andy C. This is like a two questions in one from two different people. Okay. So it's Andy C makes and B, how do you say that? Great? Yeah. B oh, yeah. Be great. Yeah. G-R-E-Y-T. On YouTube. What are your thoughts on digital fabrication and what are your general thoughts on CNC? Well, we've, uh, we've talked about this at length. We, we don't have anything against CNC. No. Um, I'd say for the most part, it's not for us. We certainly have, um, things come up in jobs where CNC is the, the right way to go about it. Like carvings in the, in the jobs that we've done for churches. Um, you know, these are expensive jobs as it is. And you want to add in like $20,000 worth of carvings. It's going to become inaccessible. Mm -hmm. Um, so the only way to do it is to, you know, cut the cost by, 200% and go with a, a CNC cut carving. Yeah. Um, you know, CNC is, uh, it's one of those things where you kind of have to be all in. Yes. It's a, it's a big investment. It's a big time investment. And, space. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Giant space investment. And in New Jersey where real estate is at a premium, it, it's tough to justify the cost if you're not going to be using it on a regular basis. Uh, for example, this, job with the walnut that we're going to start 
I could think of maybe one thing that we could do with the CNC, mm-hmm. and that would be the doors, right? Like cutting the slats, cutting the the grooves for the slats to sit in. But we don't have that much of a use for CNC. No. I bet we could do it twice as fast just doing it on the table saw. Yeah. Um. So. Would it be nice to have a CNC, and would we use it if we had it? Yes, but uh, I could say that probably about any tool. About any, t- we'd find a use for it. Yeah. Um. Uh, but we know there's uh, CNC stuff. It's not magic. It's not like you just drop a board onto the machine and out comes a piece of furniture. Yeah, if you're cutting a thousand cabinet sides right. that are all drawer over door. Okay. That makes sense. It's mm-hmm. it's a thousand of the same part. We don't have a thousand. we don't have ten of the same part <laughs> we, most times. Yeah. We there's don't I do think that I'm, kind of stuff. There's thirty two of one part in this job. And yeah. that's a lot. Right. And they're little because that's because the, the upper the depth is cabinets are sort of made up of these um rails and styles without a panel inside so it's it's a uh like a almost a web frame design really mm-hmm. open yeah um, um and that doesn't happen a lot where no. you know on this this cherry uh piece that's over here there's maybe four parts is the most of one thing that's the styles on the doors or yeah. six on the, bo- on the, the bottom. bottom there's yeah. three doors on the bottom so six of the same part yeah. Um, there's not a lot of repeatability in custom designed furniture. We're not we're not building large volumes of things. If we're building, if we were to build a, you know, a conference table with chairs, and we had to build twenty chairs. Well, then maybe we could find a use for a CNC. But yeah, yeah. It, I mean, making individual parts on the CNC. I don't. If I don't they know. were, you know, if they had a. Her, you know, if they yeah, were like a curved right. crest rail or a uh, exactly a back leg that had a curve or something. But all the straight parts that we make, I can't see there being a, an advantage to it. Um, and, and that's kind of how we roll. If there was an advantage to it, if we had the money, the space, the time, and we'd probably need an extra guy here just to do that to to make that thing pay for itself. Yeah, um, like that thing would have to be working on other stuff instead of just being a, a giant dust collector uh, over there for $25,000 and half of our shop space yeah. and a dedicated... That's not uh, even for a great CNC. Yeah, dust collection. And, yep. Yeah, I mean, we knew a guy yeah, with a CNC. Level. Yeah, that's like hob- like a... like a Big hobbyist. A high-end hobbyist yeah. machine. Um, we knew a guy that had a CNC and all they did was stack parts on top mm-hmm. of it. It never got used. For 20 years. I had never seen it turned on. Um, it's really a, a time... Hey, Jerry, we just uh, just answered your question. Um, big thing, time investment. Yeah, that thing was so old that it became obsolete. Yep. Like the operating system. And you know what? Now he just gave it away for free. Exactly. So um, it's a real commitment, I'd say. If you mm-hmm. want to get into CNC work, if it's not just a small CNC for like engraving... You plan on trying to integrate a CNC into production work? Right. It's a big investment. Mass production. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's we're not mass production in any way, shape, or form here. Yeah. So what are our thoughts? I I have nothing against it. I think it's super cool. I love all the uh, artistic type stuff that happens yeah. on a CNC. 
but it's just not something that really fits into what we're yeah. doing at the moment. We wish we knew somebody who was more of um, an, uh, what would you say, uh, a contact that we could that we could reach out to when we needed something because we're sort of yeah we've got know, Jason down in Manasquan and uh, you know the guys up the road who want nothing not to do really with us willing, not yeah. willing to help us yeah <laughs> I don't know that says more about us or them <laughs> like hey I got all these jobs that need CNC you want to help us out oh, we're a little busy okay. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't lose any sleep, but we did. We were a little bit yeah. uh, taken aback. <laughs> I'm reading this next question, and I'm a little bit envious. Yeah, we're here to our, our last question. All right, and this is from Andrew, Andy YK, on Instagram. In Canada, there's a very good apprentice program. What happened to the program in the USA? Will it ever come back? I didn't know we had one to begin with. Yeah, I don't know um, in what official capacity there was any type of, uh, like, apprenticeship program. I know in Canada, like, uh, as a carpenter, like, you, you become, like, a Red Seal carpenter. Like, it's, like, all unionized, I guess. Yeah. Um, like, to be a carpenter, you have to go through an apprenticeship program and become a Red Seal carpenter. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, it's just what I've um, assumed from what I've seen. But, yeah, I mean... You'd be hard pressed to even find anyone to teach anything here, yeah. like as a as the, a paid employee. The union trades, like electricians and such, have have a real program, and um, that that's something that uh, you know. You then you 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 serve your time, you get in the local and all that stuff. But yep, um, for woodworkers, like people who do anything similar to what we do. It, that's that's a tough one. I I don't. I mean, they don't even have wood shop in school anymore. Yeah, there's um. I know there's like millwork divisions of the carpenters unions, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, it's it's not really, or even it's not even the same thing at all. It's no, they're it's doing all, a lot of commercial work. Yeah, like like building the stores at the mall kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, and restaurants. Um, it's it, not as nuanced as this. No, most of that, because I, I did estimating for a commercial GC, mm-hmm. and the millwork trades are basically plastic laminate yep. um, for offices. That's where all the real work in New York is. And that's something that they just, they estimate that by the linear foot. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there, as you said, I'll use your word, there's no nuance to that stuff. It's just, what color do you want? <laughs> so... I mean, the the truth is, I wouldn't have had my act together at a young age to join the apprentice apprenticeship program because I wouldn't have known what I wanted to do. Um, but at my age now, fifty eight, going on fifty nine, I think about how much fun that would have been if yeah. I would have done that. How further along I would have been at an earlier age. Yeah, I mean, uh, we had. I guess right before I got into middle school, they had a, a shop class. And then by the time I got there, it was gone. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's due to the fact that uh, um, the basic skills in math and English just kept falling. So mm-hmm. some uh, brainiac in uh, the upstate programs where they, they you know, developed a curriculum 
said, it must be because we're giving all these kids art and, and shock and home ec. Let's take those classes out and we'll just double down on, on all the math and science and English. That'll make them smarter. <laughs> um, obviously, we know that, that that didn't work out, but they never brought those programs back. Once, I know in New York, because I had hoped to teach some of those types of classes, uh, once those teachers retired, they never replaced them, and then they would just shut that program down in that particular school. Yep. And so one by one, all those um Courses were eliminated until, you know, today there's there's nothing. Yeah, so we talked about this on Clubhouse the other day in uh in the in the shop room, I believe. Um who was I talking to? Kyle, I think. And um I was saying there there has to still be some around here because O'Shea mm-hmm. sells to schools and on our truck a lot of times they're going to schools to deliver material. Um, I don't know what schools they are or what sort of size the uh, shop class is, but they are, you know, selling local to us at least or in New Jersey yeah. to uh, to high schools. I do know that Middletown has like a stagecraft section of the yeah, theater department. That's like, that's like cobbled together BS, though. It is. Yeah. Like Christopher, he used to come tell me stories laughing about how they didn't know which end of the yeah, hammer to hold. yeah. That's yeah, and I've uh, I've talked to some people that build sets, and it's just it's just <laughs> cobbled together, and they throw it out like it's exactly, just it's just yeah. made yeah, it's disposable. Um, um it, it, it it'll teach you some basic hand tools, not hand tool, but whatever, some basic hand eye coordination kind of uh, mm-hmm. woodworking skill, but not uh not as focused on woodwork as you know. It's really it a be. shame because if you think about all the stuff that. Uh, we do here in the shop that we probably don't even think about or take for granted. All of the 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 thinking that takes place on the job, simple math, advanced math mm-hmm. with, with geometry and trigonometry. Um, my ma- my wife was a retired. She's a retired math teacher, and I can't count the number of times I consulted her and her whole math department. questions that you know had to do with design and scaling certain designs and shapes and i would stump you know a whole high school math department um and then there's the the problem solving the engineering uh strength durability Mm -hmm. these are things we we do on a daily basis that would help almost any um career path just the the thinking and the problem solving yeah it it translates to so many different different things thinking uh for yourself independent work this is what they they claim they want and everybody on the job right yeah how to overcome like the feeling of defeat and just (laughs) put your head down and finish the job not that we not that we experience never never Uh, I mean that's a that's a it's not a, every day. It's a tough one to to learn. You know, it's hard to. I'm guilty of it to to get past that that fuck up and and just get the job yeah, done that's right. because it. Um, I mean, you, know, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, that's why we have the wall of shame. Yeah, <laughs> even just you know when things aren't going right, yeah, just work through it and uh, 
you know, yesterday we blew the the belt on the on the uh, the, the wide. On the, uh, the wide uh, I always say sander. wide belt sander. The it's drum sander. Drum sander yeah. The uh, the conveyor belt. The feed belt that uh, the pieces actually sit on. You know, it's a thirty-eight inch wide belt, and yeah, we blew it up. It's now it's a twenty-eight inch wide yeah, belt. Yeah, uh, uh, a large splinter of oak ripped a, a long slit in it almost completely across the whole thing you know yeah and you said what off. time is it i said it's, i think it's time to hang up our hat but you know what then we we cut the belt off we changed the, the paper, paper we ran the pieces through and we put them in the water and we got them in there soaking so it's like yeah we were would have been no better off just going home no we um, we got we put it in another hour's work yeah and we actually we were better off because we, we came in this morning. We didn't have to think about that at all. Yeah. All that work was done. Yep. And we had some other problems to think about. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is life in the small business because yep. we're we're every position here, you and I, Jeff. Yeah. We we do everything. We we uh you know, we're maitre d to dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy cleaning the bathroom. That's right. <laughs> But, but we will call in Roto Rooter. Yeah. <laughs> Something bad happens there. We we don't do all of it. That's right. <laughs> we draw the line somewhere. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, Canada seems to have their act together uh when it comes to the trades and a couple other things when they you know, when you compare them to us. Yeah. Um so uh, very good. I hope you took advantage of that program, Andrew. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you did, let us, you know, let us know what it was like and tell us about it. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll retire up. You know, I'd retire to Canada, but it's too cold up there for me. Yeah, it's getting too cold here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess we're we're uh, getting to the end of our regularly scheduled uh, program. Yeah, we're at the end of the end of the questions. So, uh, what did you think of the beers, man? Well, that first beer, the the Mo Pills, the Pilsner, that thing. Was went down so easy. It hit the spot because I was thirsty, and it <laughs> it was such a familiar them. kind of taste, you know that that classic American beer. But as I alluded to, it was like a good version of it. Yeah, yeah, you know that light, um, crisp, clean kind of yeah, uh, yeah taste. Yeah, that you, that's the kind of beer, like, if you want to try and pick a beer for 12 different people to like. Right. Nobody this is like would, even the people that say they don't like craft beer, they they could drink right, it. And not grumble a little bit, but not, not a whole lot. Yeah, easy, easy. And this other one, man, this is good, too. This is yeah. it's really bright, crisp. This is a little more my speed. The uh, Sunkissed Citra. This New England style IPA is a silky citrus bomb. We used a heavy dose of heavy dose of citra hops and complemented it with soft piney touch of Centennial to create a sun-kissed delight. I can taste the pine. Yeah. And I see Sean's down there. So Sean is linking us up with his buddy in Arizona. Oh, Sean's yeah. in Arizona as well. Uh his buddy owns a brewery, Kitsuni Brewing. And uh going to send us out a couple beers in uh, the next couple That's weeks. That's cool. I got a little link to Arizona. Yeah. Went to Arizona State for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. 
Didn't graduate. Spent <laughs> <laughs> way too much time doing stuff other than yeah. going to Arizona State. I have a similar story. <laughs> yes, that's right. The, the big difference is that when I went to Arizona State, it cost me like $2,000 a year. Yeah. And not only that, the government paid for it because they said, you know, son, you're you're broke. <laughs> We're going to give you money to go to school. Yeah, it must be nice. I know. I mean, it's. I feel terrible telling Jeff these things because it, that world doesn't exist for him. No. You know, it's... I. I for people my age, I think a lot of a lot of us forget how good we really had it, especially when you compare it to today's time. And now we all had our hardships and our, you know, trials, but compared to today, there's so many things that were taken for granted then, like renting an apartment. Mm-hmm. You didn't need you just needed a job. I worked at 7-Eleven when I was a teenager, <laughs> and I had an apartment. Yeah. So it, it's these things are, are done now. You can't find them. Those CEOs got to start trickling down some of that money. Yeah, what happened to that? <laughs> <laughs> it's trickling. It's trickling. It's a slow trickle. <laughs> I, I hope you live to see that trickle. <laughs> I won't bet on it. No, me either. <laughs> that could be that could be another another rant in uh yeah. in Patreon because uh although I did get a, a little taste of the of the good times growing up through the seventies and such, I'm more of a rage against the machine kind of guy. <laughs> the washing machine. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, the washing machine backed up today. It's always something, isn't it? <laughs> I guess before we uh, we say our goodbyes and sign off here, we'll uh, we'll open up Clubhouse. If anybody has yeah. anything to say, any yeah. comments, questions, yeah. uh, feel free to raise Pop your in. hand. Come on, Clubhouse. Yeah. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine of you down there. Yeah, there we go. Who, who's this? Sean. You're live, Sean. Hey. Sean, hey, welcome to the going? podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Do I have to do the whole thing that I did last Oh, week? yeah, that's right. I forgot uh, about that. See, I put it in the description, so you know what? Clubhouse wants to come after us. They got nothing we could take. So, yeah, that's right. We got nothing they could take. Good luck. My dirty 1620s. Nice, nice. So I actually, so when you guys were talking earlier about like design and stuff, I kind of had a, a thought. Uh, I know you said like, you know, kind of look at some books and things like that nature. I was wondering if you guys had any book recommendations that potentially you had that you go to for inspiration. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff published uh, on Stickly, and and there's like a Craftsman's Guide and things like that. I could get you some exact titles, but if you just did a book search, uh, Gustav Stickley or Stickley Brothers, even if the style of furniture isn't what you want to build, the proportions are so right on mm-hmm. that you'll learn something from that. Yeah, the cool thing about Stickly too is it it really lacks any ornamentation, mm-hmm. so you can take the design and really and tweak it to yeah. make it something completely different. You take the proportions and the general idea, and you can really make it your own by interpreting it in a mid-century modern style or whatever. Yeah, you read a great book recently, didn't you? The Commando, uh, the Renegades. 
Renegade. Oh, Anarchist Design Book. Yeah, that's. I'd say that's a good one, Sean. Uh, Anarchist Design Book by uh, Chris Schwartz from Lost Art Press. Um, so that book is on vernacular furniture, which is like basically um, think of like a dude in a farmhouse making a, a stool. Um, it's all very purpose built sort of homemade furniture. And, uh, you know, it gets into the, the nitty gritty of the design and doesn't get too fluffy. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying, it's it's a it's a great book. Not what I expected it to be, but uh, really good. A lot of stick furniture in there. And um, yeah, it was good. And it's a, a nice thick book. So a lot of info in there. Cool, man. And like, so is that book have, is that like a lot, is there a lot, I'm assuming pictures and things like that to kind of go off of on that? Yeah, there's got to be like a dozen or a dozen and a half different um, projects in there. And he actually goes through and tells you how to build them. Um, there's, you know, cut lists and stuff. So um, Rob just pulled out some books. Yeah, um, we pulled. I just pulled three books off the shelf um, with stickly drawings in them. Uh, one's called Making Authentic Craftsman Furniture, and it's got 62 projects inside. Um, and it's... It's including articles from The Craftsman is uh, is the name of the book that Gustav Stickley wrote and published. Um, there's another one called The Furniture of Gustav Stickley. Yeah, I read that one recently. Um, I'll hold these up just in case anybody's watching. Uh, and these are like big paperbacks. So they're inexpensive books as well. And then another one, Shop Drawings for Craftsman Furniture. Uh, again, all based on Stickley's designs. Um, yeah, I think they call those like trade paperbacks. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like a uh, 9 by 12 kind of deal. And if you want to see an example of somebody who's taken like Stickley's and uh, the Shaker ideal uh, to market, look up Thomas Moser. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's made a very successful business just basically interpreting Stickley's furniture. Yeah. Yeah, he has a book called, uh, I think it's just called How to Build Shaker Furniture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I didn't finish it. I got like three quarters of the way through before I had to uh, return it, but that was a good book. Yeah, they have like a mission style line, shaker, a craftsman line, and the uh, the stick, stick chairs and stools that they've been building at Moser. Mm -hmm. Man. I got a real hard on for those things. <laughs> he, you know, they do really nice work, and, and it's, a it's good company. reasonably priced. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a good place to work too, from yeah, what I understand. Yeah, so, um, I would love to have you know a shop like that one day where we can gainfully employ you know yeah, that's right. two, two dozen or three dozen people, and you know build. that would be awesome, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. You know who else I like is Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, oh, yeah, AZ Native right there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's awesome uh, and because he, a lot of his stuff failed. You know, he pushed the boundary so far that it, things didn't always work. His buildings are famous for having leaky roofs and, and contractors having to go back, you know, a decade later and <laughs> fix the foundation or something. But his his ideas about uh personalization and proportion and scale uh, to me they're the best ever mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I I follow like an account on Instagram that literally just shares his stuff daily. It's, I mean, it just looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe maybe not super functional most of the time. But just <laughs> the look of his stuff is just incredible. That's what I mean about about Frank. He was, you know, he was a real maverick. Yeah, dreamer. Yeah, that's what makes things great. Well, thanks, Sean. We yeah. got uh, we got some time here. We're we're closing in on the hour and a half mark, but we got some time if anybody else wants to come up. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. How come everybody got shy all of a sudden? Any takers? Any takers? <laughs> Brendan, how about you? I'm going to call you out, Keystone Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, I was in the room last night with uh, you and Matt talking about. I wanted to jump in a couple times, but uh, I was a little hesitant. The conversation was going. I didn't want to interject, but uh, there was a discussion about when designers should enter uh, the job. <laughs> I had to bite my tongue there for a, for a hard second. <laughs> What's hey guys, up, Brendan? I, am, uh, I don't know really much about woodworking, but I, I'm still on that repair if follow me on instagram if not i'm doing a repair right now so i have the the quiet time to kind of listen in something like this normally i wouldn't but uh very uh very uh intrigued just kind of hearing you guys talk about you know wood shop and things like that so um what uh what was your your question there before about last night jeff so last night the uh the question arose from uh, that woman kate when should a designer um, enter the job? And uh, I know I have an opinion. I'm sure Rob has one. Strong one. Yeah. I, I know Rob's <laughs> going to say probably <laughs> not at all. But um, so we've had experiences where uh, a designer comes into the job late in the game. And uh, it really throws a, throws a wrench in the gears um, because, yeah. you know, we as furniture and cabinetry designers, um, we have our own vision and, um, you know, then someone else comes in with their own vision and sort of muddies the waters. Um, so I personally, I think if, if a designer is going to be involved, it needs to be from the very beginning. Um, there needs to be, you know, a meeting between client designer and, and tradesmen, whether that's a remodeler like yourself or, or, a you know, woodworker, um, or mill worker, um, that way the uh, you know a cohesive design can be created, and there's not this sort of miscommunication that happens down the road. Yeah, um, for me, I, I'll agree with that aspect of it. You know where the timing should be from the onset, but I think the most important thing is delineating the responsibilities. Um, in in my experience. And it's it's not vast, I'll say, but I've been around the block a couple of times. Designers are oftentimes given much more responsibility than their ability and acumen deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Jeff stated, we're we're a design build shop, and we bring a lot to the table. We're not just a couple of guys that are building boxes. We put a lot of effort into the overall design and function and form of of everything we build and we consult with the client 
just as much as any designer would. Um, and I think we may even have the, the client's best interest uh, at heart more so than a, almost anyone else on the job. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard for us to, to coexist with a designer that feels like uh, we're an inferior. Or, uh, or, you know, you get into this competition right, where right. it's designer and client versus woodworker. Right. Or designer versus woodworker, yeah. where uh, really, you know, the goal is to just provide the client with the best possible product. And, um, you know, everybody needs to put their ego aside and whoever has the best idea really should be the. Exactly. And now we've struck up a beautiful relationship with a design firm. Yeah. And it's it's so cool because the the exchange of information and ideas just flows freely back and forth mm -hmm. and there's nobody saying well this is my idea this is your idea let's go with this one instead of that one it's it's problem solving in the truest sense yeah we're able to manifest their ideas into real tangible mm -hmm. things because they have a as a designer they have a an overarching idea of what the project needs to be but they're they're not equipped to create the specifics. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that all designers are, are this way. You know, there, I'm sure there are ones out there who can, you know, create a real, um, shop drawing and a, a real design, a real finished piece of furniture who aren't actual furniture makers. But, um, so they're able to just feed us an idea and we can take it and make it into something that's real, right. create a real design, not something that's just a, a reference or inspiration photo. We take the the uh, constraints of the of the um, the home and the function of the piece, and we turn it into something that's real. Yeah, yeah. So they really come to appreciate what we do, and we appreciate what they do in in the same sense. And in fact, they'll come back to us and say, "Yeah, this is pretty good, but <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. Can you can you you know twist it a little bit sideways here and take yeah, this you know, out? Yeah, we're there? looking for more of this look. And, yeah, um, yeah, it needs to be a harmonious relationship. Right, right, and that's the that's the point that that we've uh, come to with most designers. It's it becomes a little bit. Uh, I mean, I I try not to act it. Um, but I could probably be a little resentful of their presence. And I feel like they resent our presence if we try to say we're more than just cabinet builders. Right. Fortunately, with uh, my experience with designers um, has, been, has been pretty good. And I think the reason being is if they've... Uh, been more, I guess, decorators are starting out that they they have a tendency to defer, uh, you know, certain things to the contractor. Um, and, you know, while I do like that, um, and, and this has been relationships that have been formed kind of prior to working together. So it's kind of like, hey, we're going into this already with, uh, you know, uh, an approach that's, you know, we're on the same side here. Um, but you know, as I've progressed in my business, I found that I'm not a designer and I'm not someone who's drawing or scaling or anything. And I do have that 
that knack or I guess that kind of that that skill set but at the same time I feel like I'm also spending a lot of time that I haven't allocated or budgeted or charged for in terms of management <laughs> that uh you know should be on the designer like like molding scales or or drawings of of you know to to scale and things like that um and, and I think that just comes with you know um time and who I you know partner up with um but you know I find myself a lot of time in the field like making these decisions and and I though I do enjoy it um you know finding time where it's it just uh is taking away from the bottom line yeah we all want to be paid for our time on the job our years of experience and 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 sort of the intangible things too that we're bringing to the table that you know and care what molding is going to look appropriate in in a fair world you're going to be compensated for bringing that to the job mm-hmm. yeah uh have you ever considered you know integrating some type of design service into your business where you know you act as the designer and you know you have plenty of experience so you know um you know how to compose a, a a uh, nice looking bathroom. I've thought about it. I, I don't have the uh, skill set to use even, you know, some of the, the most basic setups or, you know, programs um, like drawing a simple space in SketchUp or, you know, Chief or, you know, 2020. So, you know, I feel like with a little bit of time spent learning those programs, I could capture uh, you know, simple designs like that and, and pocket some of that money where, you know, right now I'm, I'm just kind of passing that along to the designer. Yep. Yeah. It's a good investment, I would say. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, I'm sure you run into jobs where there is no designer. And uh, so between yourself and the homeowner, you're both sort of playing designer and there's no reason you shouldn't be compensated for actually, you know, doing that design work because... You know, you've done enough work where you know to to pair, you know, this tile with this Schluter or or exactly. um, you know whatever combination of things within a home. Um, so I think you'd be surprised how, how well equipped you probably really are compared to a lot of these interior designers or decorators. Yeah, uh, a lot of designers start out. Um, you know, they move from sort of the hobbyist, uh, you know, arranging rooms for friends to putting a sign out front and they're assembling ideas from pictures online. Uh, and I, like people, uh, in our boat, we're, we're sort of, um, developing ideas more from scratch. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, some of the coolest things I feel like I've done have really just been on the fly, like letting the, letting the homeowner, um, just kind of let me run with my ideas now. Is that the most efficient and profitable? No, but you know, I feel like the creativity can be there and you can really get into your, your zone and be in the, you know, in your element. Um, but you know, with, with the right tools in place and, you know, you know, some, uh, learning about some of these software programs, you know, I feel like that can easily be captured and, and, uh, capitalized on. Yeah, you'd, you'd see a remarkable difference in um, how that sort of presentation changes your 
uh, your your ability to land a job and sort of um, uh, not control, but sort of you know navigate a job uh, from start to finish. You know, with the client knowing what to expect and and your ability to spell it out so there are no surprises and things like that. For sure, you know, I wouldn't want to necessarily get into you know a whole house design or a whole floor, <laughs> maybe multiple <laughs> projects at least right away, but at least capturing some of those simpler projects, um, you know, that maybe doesn't necessarily, you know, warrant a designer, uh, from the start. Yeah. Um, you know, we throw this out there, you know, if anybody's got things, they could always throw them our way. You know, we have the ability to do it. Um, and we would, you know, love to team up with anybody out there that needs some design help. If, yeah. uh, uh, you know, we could do something like that. What do you guys use when you when you design your um, your uh, pieces? We right. use a, yeah, a combination of SketchUp and Fusion three hundred and sixty. Yeah, they're both uh, you know three D drawing programs from the computer, and gives us the ability to um, you know email things back and forth to clients. That's really nice and designers yeah um and the the true to scale drawings really show what a work you know we would sometimes get sketches and you know somebody would be asking for four rows of shelves and this and that and you look at it and it's like well the ceiling will have to be 18 feet high for yeah. this to actually work you know, when you do it in real scale, you can only fit two rows of shelves. You know, so it's it's a handy tool in a lot of ways. Yeah, and we're able to do most of our um, pre-fabrication work remotely. So uh, more often than not, like money has already changed hands before yeah. we ever see a job yeah. site. Yeah. But yeah, I thought... Oh, maybe we had a little insight on the conversation last night. I uh, had to had to leave a little earlier than I had hoped. My uh, my wife was giving me the look. <laughs> what what look is that? Well, I was on Clubhouse and <laughs> sitting on the couch listening, and she's like giving me a side eye, <laughs> giving me the side eye. <laughs> It, it can be addictive, even though it's like, how can this, how can the audio app be uh, time consuming? You could just hop in a room and just, you know, two hours goes by and it's like, where'd it go? Yeah, I got to stay off during the workday because uh, I just get engrossed in the uh, the conversations. Jeff, you got to go into the rooms where nobody knows who you are during the workday. That's what I, <laughs> I camp out in these rooms where I can just listen and nobody's going to call on me to do anything. The NFT rooms. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I actually just bought a domain name on some uh, some thoughts about that. So we'll, we'll, that's for another time. Oh, yeah. I have to pick your brain because I, uh, I have a, an interest to learn, but I don't know anything yet. But that's, yeah, that's a conversation for another day. For sure, for sure should check out the rap battle groups. I, I popped in there about midnight last night. <laughs> Interesting. That sounds incredibly wow. entertaining. Rap battle? Yeah. Yeah, Matt and I were in the room. Uh, peanut butter versus Nutella. Is that what it was? Yep, absolutely. It was just some random thing. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. There was people from all over the world that were all discussing. It, it was great. People <laughs> talking about toast and all this stuff. It was, I was dying. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's hilarious. Yeah, I grew up eating Nutella back when uh, only Italians knew about it. <laughs> and we'd get it for breakfast on toast, and every now and again my mother would put, like, a sliced banana on there. Oh, yeah, it's good. All right, so, Rob, we know where you fall on that side of the equation. <laughs> what, about, uh, what about you? Jeff, what do you say? That's a tough one. Like, if I had to pick one to, like... Forever. Yeah, forever choice. Forever. You can only have access to one forever. I think I would go with Nutella because I actually prefer almond butter, like, for just, uh, like, a sandwich or something like that. All right, fair enough, fair enough. I've, uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to say, if I didn't have Teddy's crunchy peanut butter in my life, I don't know if I would... Be <laughs> Sean, Brendan, you guys want to weigh in? You're already up here. 60% of my fat intake on a daily basis. Oh, I love it. It's just like... I have to say, I'm uh, I'm just completely grossed out by the whole conversation. Oh, <laughs> boom. If, if, if I had to make the choice, I would just say uh, probably Nutella. Oh. <laughs> All right, Brendan, last one to weigh in. You got the rest of your life ahead of you with two jars. You got to get rid of one. What do you got? It's peanut butter for sure. <laughs> yes, all right, we split the, we split the screen. Split the room. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get washed out on this one. Thank you. No, we didn't split. That's three against two. <laughs> oh, you're right. I forgot. You got two guys in one bubble there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could crush a jar of Nutella with a spoon right now. <laughs> I think I get gassed on the peanut butter. Yeah. But I, I do love both. I don't know. I mean, it would, it would be close. I love Nutella, but it would be real close for me if I had to only have one for the rest of my life because I love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. Only not the grape jelly. I'm a big like apricot peach jam kind of guy. That's good. I like strawberry okay. or raspberry. On uh, so I almost had it today for lunch. I, I was debating whether or not I'd have it. So. Yeah. I, I just go. It's just it's just it's a little bit more nutritious too. So like you yeah, you know, <laughs> absolutely. If you're, if you're out in the wild somewhere, you might, yeah, you'd survive longer on a jar of peanut butter. In my you, opinion, you might burn out on the chocolate. That, that's also my point too. I, I can do a little bit of sweets. I'll have a little bit of ice cream now and again, but I'm not. I don't know. I, I kind of I don't have a big sweet tooth, so I guess that's part of it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't eat sugar, so I I really can't eat the Nutella. But, uh, <laughs> you dream about it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you truly are you truly zero? Like non zero grams for a whole day? Yeah. Yeah. Every now More and then than a day. Yeah, every now and then I fall off the wagon and then I deeply regret it. Um last time I had uh I went off the wagon a couple weeks ago and it took me about a week to feel right again. Is what is it it's 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 keto, correct? Isn't that what that is? No sugar is is like you're putting your body into keto, or is that my confusing diet? Yeah, basically. Okay, that's cool. Now, I'm not zero, but I do try, I try to keep it as low as possible. Because I, I definitely, and honestly, it's funny you say that, because I had a, a sip of a, I bought a soda the other day. I was somewhere, and I was freaking thirsty. And I just bought a soda randomly, didn't really look at it, and I started drinking it, and it was like, you know, one of those ones with like 60 grams of sugar in one little <laughs> bottle. And in like 10 minutes, I had like taken a couple swigs because I was thirsty, like, 10 minutes later, I'm like, I feel freaking weird, man. Like, this is like, I don't know. Like, it just didn't feel right. And I, I, if you're a truly zero, I could totally see how it would definitely throw your kind of balance off for a little bit of time. Yeah, I, yeah. I like, only when you stop. Stay away from sugar uh, in between full-size bags of M&Ms. <laughs> 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 I 
I was going to say, only like when you stop eating sugar do you realize how much it really affects, you know, everything. Your your state of mind and your body. And I mean, I get super irritable, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I feel a lot better. I, I've been eating no or occasionally very little sugar for, uh, you know, almost four years now. So I make right, so up sure for it. Don't worry. I don't know if you were ever larger or not, but I'm sure you've definitely assumed probably a slighter figure just because of that. Oh yeah. 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 I'm, I'm still fat and I don't <laughs> eat any sugar. <laughs> I think that genuinely deserves congratulations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I also have a four and a five year old in the house, so sugar is everywhere, but. Yeah, I'll tell you what, every Halloween I relapse. Because <laughs> I just can't resist the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Oh, yeah. oh, that's my thing right there. That's my weakness, and my wife knows it. Like, I could, I could stay away from everything, but if she buys Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I am crushing them. <laughs> like, all of them. Yeah, here's the thing, too. It's like, a dr- it's like being a drug addict. Because like if I had one bite of a Reese's, it's all it's all over. It's yeah. then it's like I could just have one more, and then you know you spiral out of control because that sugar gets into your it's brain. The alcoholic and it, having the one drink. Yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as one Reese's peanut butter cup or one <laughs> piece of cake or one cookie. It's it's it's, it's, it's a drug. Having like one thin mint of a Girl Scout cookie. Like yeah. No, that's a whole box <laughs> serving. There's no such thing. This sleeve. It's a sleeve. Yep. <laughs> Serving as two Fig Newtons? <laughs> I eat them by the sleeve. Well, on that yeah. note, <laughs> yeah. we'll, uh, we'll bring it to a close here this week. I want to give a shout out to our gold tier patrons. We got uh, David Murphy, Manny Siriani, Dustin Fair, who's down there in the clubhouse room, Adam Pothast, David Schumacher, Maker. Shoemaker. Sorry, David. <laughs> that's, a, that's usually the mistake I would make. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate you guys. If you don't know, uh, the podcast is on YouTube as well, so you can check out the video version there. Uh, you know, we're here every Wednesday on Clubhouse Now as well. If you want your beer glass, head over to the website. You can get it. And we'll uh, we'll go ahead and do our little Patreon after show here right after this um, where we sit down for, you know, anywhere between a half hour and an hour and uh, say some stuff that we're not allowed to say on the air <laughs> normally. Uh, That's right. <laughs> we we might got talk gripes. about ancient aliens or something like that, or uh, conspiracy theories. Or and, somebody who did us wrong. Yeah, we're going to tell you about stuff that we don't tell the general public. But, yeah, we appreciate you guys. Thanks, everybody out there on Clubhouse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tune in next week. We'll see you for episode 28. Love the Clubhouse. Later, guys. Ciao. Be well.